volunteer, we'd love for you to sign up. If you are a vendor and you would like to set up a table and help us with that, that would be great. There's a table in the fellowship area where regardless of how you want to get involved, if you want to be involved, that's the place to go. Uh, we're soon going to have a meeting on Zoom for anybody who wants to be involved so that we can get the ball rolling on this. Uh, pretty simple, it's a pretty simple way to not only engage the community but raise some funds for a valuable project around the world. And by the way, uh, as we were just singing that song this morning, Worthy of It All, I just my mind just kept going to just the amazing things that God has given us the privilege of engaging with here at Redemption Church. If you don't find something here to invest your life in that has eternal significance and eternal value, please let me know. I think I can help because there's so many great things happening here. And one of those things that's happening is we've seen a lot of growth uh, here uh, on Sunday mornings, we've seen a lot of engagement, and as, as we have continued to grow in number, that has put more and more stress and strain on, on our systems and on our building. Our building went, for, well, we went from a couple years ago not having a building to having this building and mostly using it on Sundays to now we're at the point where any given night of the week, there's multiple things going on here. And it's not a huge building. Uh, you can walk out of here and pretty much touch the outside walls in any direction. We have uh, small rooms. We've expanded our parking as much as, as, as is possible. We no longer have any grass. <laughs> we just have gravel, which was a bad trade-off, but it was valuable in the sense that we want you to have a place to park. And so we're very grateful for that. But, but as God continues to grow his church here at Redemption, those needs just get greater and greater. And so many of you have been praying, and we thank you for praying. Um, we've been praying along with you as well as praying. We've been uh, aggressively exploring options. And um, we've looked at adding on space here. Not very cost effective, doesn't really solve all of our problems, um, but nonetheless is an option. And uh, at the end of the day, could be our best option, but... We've been pursuing over the past year an opportunity to actually purchase another building. And to just give you some scale here, this building is 10,000 square feet in total. So all the offices, classrooms, and all that. 10,000 square feet. We sit on, I think, a little over four acres. Um, much of that is hillside, as you, as you can see. And we've, we've pretty much created all the parking that we can. The building we've been pursuing is, in comparison, 25,000 square feet, so it's two and a half times the size, sits on 10 acres, and has plenty of room for parking. And so um, it's been a process, and we haven't talked a lot about it because there really just hasn't been a lot to share. It's something that we've been praying through and just seeking an opportunity to, to meet the needs that we have here. And as we've done that, the needs have just continued to increase, which is good. These are what we call good problems. But you all know good problems are still problems, and they need to be resolved. And so as we've kind of gone through that process, we've gotten to a point where we thought that that was kind of off the table. And then over the last couple of weeks, uh, the other party has come back to us and not only does it look like it's on the table now, but it looks like there's a good chance of us moving forward to acquire um, that much larger building. And so um, I don't want to talk about a lot of details about who that is. It's just a few minutes away from here. Um, 
because I'm, I just want to protect their process and where they're at as a church in working through that. Um, but I hope that in the very near future, we're, we're going to have a lot of detail that we can release to you. And I will say, when we get to that point, Lord willing, uh, when we bought this building, everything in it needed renovated. It was built in 1980, and virtually nothing had been touched in the, the 40 years from 1980 until when we bought it. And then it sat empty for several years, and which created a lot of other problems. And so we ripped up all the carpet, we painted every wall, we made some other changes. Uh, what's a kitchen now used to be a Sunday school storage closet. There was just some shelves and some books and stuff in there. And so we did a lot of work. The, the bathroom in the kids' ministry area was a janitor's closet. And so we made some changes that we thought would um, meet the needs that we have now, and it has. It's served us very well. But it was a lot of work, and we did a lot of it uh, in-house to save money. And uh, if this move happens, it'll be the same thing. And so for those of you who, who want to work and, and put your hands to something, this is going to be your time to shine. And there's going to be lots of opportunity to get that space up to what we'd like it to be so that moving forward we can just focus on the gospel ministry and not the building. So I say all that to ask you to keep praying. This is definitely a matter of urgent prayer. Um, basically, we expect to have an offer within the next week on what that would look like. And once, once all of that's sort of hammered out, I'll be excited to share with you all the details. And, um, but for now, it's... it's I'd say it's at 90%. And so if we could pray that God would give wisdom, and if it's not where we're supposed to be, then, then pray that it absolutely falls through because there's no reason uh, to head in the wrong direction. Uh, we're in a good place as a church right now. We've got financial stability and health. We've got a growing congregation. We've got excitement. Most of all, we're seeing disciples being made, which all that other stuff is worthless if disciples aren't being made. And so uh, keep praying, and we'll keep you updated as the details emerge. All right, sound good? Thank you for letting me take a little extra time for announcements today. Let's turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 1. I want to read verses 7 through 15. Romans 1 verses 7 through 15. The message this morning is titled, But What About Us? Verse 7 says, To all who are in Rome, loved by God, called as saints, grace to you, in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because the news of your faith is being reported in all the world. God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in telling the good news about his son that I constantly mention you. Always asking in my prayers that if it is somehow in God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I want very much to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Now, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I often planned to come to you, but was prevented until now, in order that I might have a fruitful ministry among you, just as I have had among the rest of the Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Would you pray with me? Father, as we consider your word today, I pray that you'd open our hearts and minds. 
Help us to, to receive your word and the truth contained herein. Help us to apply this word to our lives, to see how, how you view not only the, the Christians in Rome in the first century, but how you view us today and how we fit into your plan. God, I pray that you'd just enlarge our vision of what you want to do both in us and through us. May we as individuals grow in spiritual maturity. May we embrace this process of, of growing as disciples for ourselves. And may we grow as a church to glorify you, the one who is worthy of it all. Jesus, we pray that you would move mightily here in this place, for we ask in your name. Amen. Amen. So we've got this letter written by Paul, and we talked about Paul last week. I introduced you to Paul briefly, introduced you to some of the main characters of the, of the letter of Romans, of course, the gospel, Jesus, us. Those are some of the things we looked at. Uh, but, but who is this letter written to? And the, the idea here behind the book of Romans is that Immediately after Jesus' resurrection and then his 40 days later, his ascension into heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit upon a, a large amount of Jews who were gathered in Jerusalem to, to feast and to celebrate. They would gather, they would come together from all throughout the Roman Empire, from northern Africa, from all the surrounding area. They would come into Jerusalem a number of times a year to celebrate these religious festivals that they shared in common as Jews who were dispersed throughout the Roman Empire. And we're told in the book of Acts that when all those Jews were gathered together and the Holy Spirit fell upon them and Peter stood up and he preached the gospel and thousands of them responded to the gospel, we're told that among those who were there in Jerusalem at that time were people from the city of Rome. Now, the city of Rome is, of course, the, the capital city of the Roman Empire. It was, it was quite a bit of a travel from Jerusalem, but uh, they they're both sit close to the Mediterranean Sea, and so you could travel by boat for most of, most of that trip. And so you would have these presumably probably wealthy Jews who could afford to make the trip, but there's no need to speculate too much. There could have very well been poor Roman Jews from among them as well. And they come and they hear the gospel. How incredible that in, in all of human history, these specific men and women are alive at the, at the precise time which would lead them from Rome to Jerusalem to hear Peter preach the gospel and the privilege of being among those very first believers in Jesus Christ. This is beyond coincidence. This is beyond happenstance. This is, as we're going to see in this early part of Paul's letter, this is by divine plan. God has chosen these specific people from Rome to hear the gospel, to respond to the gospel, and to go back to their home city of Rome and declare the gospel in the most important city in the entire world at that time. So what is it, how does Paul address these unique people? And what can we learn from that? If you have the handout in front of you, I want to 
I want to mention three things we know from this short passage about the Roman believers. The first one is this, the believers in Rome we know were loved by God. Number one, they were loved by God. This is clearly stated in verse 7, Paul has introduced himself, he has introduced the reason for his, partially introduced the reason for his writing to declare the gospel to them. And he says this, this, this simple sentence, verse 7, to all who are in Rome, loved by God, called as saints. These Roman believers, we don't know how many there are of them, there are enough that that there at least appears to be multiple house churches, at least two house churches, based on some of the things that Paul says in the end of this letter. There seem to be at least a couple of house churches that have sprung up here in Rome, and that's where mo- that's how most of the churches in those early days of Christianity existed. They didn't have their own buildings. You know, we talk about buildings. They didn't have buildings. They they met in homes. Um, it became efficient and helpful to eventually acquire buildings. That's not a knock on on having buildings. But originally, they were just forced to meet in homes. And they they were being witnesses in a city that was, in one hand, open to new ideas, and then on the other hand, resentful of the exclusive message that the Christians were proclaiming. In other words, it was a lot like today. You could believe any crazy thing that you wanted to as long as you didn't claim that your belief system was exclusive. In other words, that all other belief systems were wrong. And so that was the problem for these these Jewish believers is really what they were. Uh, The problem was that they were claiming that salvation could come through Jesus Christ alone. And that put them in disfavor with Rome. And so here they are, this kind of ragtag group of Christians who believed the gospel, uh, forced to meet in homes, sort of rejected by their own people within the Roman Empire. And yet, and yet, the words of verse 7 Come to them, you are loved by God. That is such a simple phrase. And, and, and it might almost seem like it's not worth pausing and reflecting there. Because of course they're loved by God. God is love. He loves everybody, doesn't he? Well, there is a particular love that, that God has manifest among the Romans and that he manifests among all believers everywhere that is evidenced by the second part of this sentence or the last part of this sentence, which says not only are they loved by God, but they are called as saints. Called means that God has pursued them. He He has singled them out and he has called them to himself. When Paul says that they are called as saints in our, to our modern ears, when we think of saints, we think of somebody who is one of two things, either morally upright among other human beings. Oh, she's such a saint. Usually we mean she's such a great person. 
always has the good of others in mind or something. Or we think of religious saints, those who have, have one of the requirements of, of being a saint in the Roman Catholic Church is that you have to die. That's unfortunate. But you have to die, and then some time has to pass, and then you are given the status of sainthood. Neither of those are the biblical idea of what is referred to here as saints. Saints in the Bible and saints in this, in this particular instance are simply those who have been set apart for God's purposes. They have been set apart in order to do God's will. And they have been set apart to be recipients of his love. And they have been set apart to be his witnesses in Rome. They have been set apart to know the gospel message and to make it known among the peoples of all the earth. To all who are in Rome, loved by God. And loved in a way that he called you. He reached out to you. The beauty of the gospel is that Jesus came to pursue us. He does not wait for us to pursue him. He came to get his people. And here he calls them as saints. There's a lot to that. We're going to come back to that in a little bit. But just, just enjoy just enjoy this simplicity of what it meant for the Romans to be loved by God. His affection is upon them. The believers in Rome were one, they were loved by God. But number two on your handout, not only are they loved by God, they are admired by Paul. They're actually admired by the apostle Paul. That actually takes up a, a, a bigger part of his, his letter here than his expression of how much God loves them. He quickly moves on to his own love for them. Paul boasts about, he boasted about them. He longed to visit them. Verse 8 says, first, I thank my God, Jesus Christ, for all of you because the news of your faith is being reported in all the world. Paul is a, he's, he's, he's a traveling missionary and everywhere he's going, the subject of the Roman church is coming up. The believers who have held fast now for some 20 plus years have held on to the gospel message in perhaps one of the most difficult environments in the whole Roman Empire. Their faith is being celebrated among all the churches. And then furthermore, it's being celebrated among the Apostle Paul because he says in verse 9, God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in telling the good news about his son that I constantly mention you. Always asking in my prayers that if it is somehow in God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Paul's got a lot of relationships with a, with a lot of churches in different cities. But the one that, that just seems to elude his plans every time is the church in Rome. The, the, the believers that he just can't seem to make that connection with, though he keeps praying, though he keeps talking about them, though his admiration for them is this high, he, he, just, can't, he just can't get to them. And yet, that is the occasion of this letter. Paul is writing to these Christians in Rome, hoping that he'll soon travel to them, spend some time with them, and that they will be an uh, important part of sending him further west into Spain. And so he prays for them. He's asking God if somehow it be part of his will that he may 
finally get to Rome and get to, to labor among these brothers and sisters in Christ. He says in verse 11, For I very much want to see you, so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Paul's vision for visiting the, the Roman Christians is that together they're going to encourage one another. That he'll have the opportunity to, to, to build upon the gospel that they have received, his message, and to elaborate on how, how God has brought these things about, the, the saving of both Jew and Gentile through Jesus Christ, and that he'll hear more about what God is doing there in Rome and that together they'll be strengthened. Let me just encourage you. you if you don't already have some, some Romans 1, 11, and 12 relationships in your life, let me encourage you to seek to develop those kinds of relationships. You ought to have relationships with people that you don't see all the time, that you long to build up, that you long to strengthen, that you long to encourage them in the faith. One of the reasons we try to, to be pretty adamant about regular short-term mission trips here at Redemption and why we try to get um, people on those mission trips often is because we want, we want you to establish relationships with believers from other parts of the world. There's something that happens inside of you that's just so spiritually healthy when you develop relationships with people that you, you can't see often, you can't communicate with often, and yet you have found mutual encouragement through one another and that you have this desire to build one another up. And the relationships that we've developed in Malawi and in other places in the world are a great opportunity to plug into that. And so we encourage you to be involved in that. But, but it doesn't have to happen through one of our short-term mission trips. Just, just ask God, God, who do you want me to invest in spiritually? Always be looking for people that you can invest in spiritually so that mutually you may be encouraged by one another's faith. I love how Paul says that. I read this passage a few years ago. You have to, just a, a little bit of my family history. My mom met my dad when he was serving in the Marines. My dad's from here in western Pennsylvania. My mom's from north Georgia. And um, they, they, she was staying with an uncle who was in the Marine Corps. He was in the Marine Corps. They met and um, they got married and had kids and moved up north. And my mom has um, begrudgingly spent her entire adult life here in the north. And then last September they bought... Um, they bought a little trailer down in one of those mobile home parks down in Florida. And she went down there last September, and I really don't think I'll ever see her in Pennsylvania again. <laughs> she, it, I would be shocked to see her ever get on a plane and come up north again. But anyhow, um, so my mom's side of the family has always been distant to us. But we, we, we would visit once or twice a year. We'd go down to Georgia, spend time with them. And uh, because, my, because of my grandma's... She, she had a lot of, let me just say it this way, um, she has four kids and to three different 
husbands or men. And so there was a lot of men sort of in and out of the family, so to speak. And um, my, my biological grandfather, I never knew. I met him one time, um, but never had a relationship with him. But one of my great uncles, one of my granny's brothers, um, really, as, as I grew up, kind of just took on that role and, and was, it felt like my grandfather. He was the one that every time we went and visited, couldn't wait to see Uncle Jimmy, couldn't wait to spend time with Uncle Jimmy. And he was always around and invested in us as, as kids. And then as we became adults, the relationship just continued to grow. But my, my Uncle Jimmy is pretty typical Southern guy, just, um, just lived um, just sort of a country lifestyle um, and never really had time for the Lord until later in life he was diagnosed with cancer and God slowly used that to bring my Uncle Jimmy to faith. And as, as I'm seeing this play out through visits, but more so hearing it play out uh, from a distance, I one day was sitting there and I was like, man, I can't wait to, I can't wait to go and see Uncle Jimmy and talk to him about what God is doing because I'm hearing these stories about how, how God is bringing him to faith. And I read this passage. For I want very much to see you, Paul said, so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. And when I read that passage, I immediately thought of him and began to pray, God, would you open the door for me to have that kind of experience with Uncle Jimmy? And then the time came. I got to travel down south visit some family, and he was my number one priority on that list. I couldn't, I couldn't wait to go see him, and so I went, and my, my mom's family had a, had a chunk of property there. Um, there was a dirt road called Edwinner's Lane, and on that dirt road was like everybody had a piece of land from the family, and my Uncle Jimmy was one of them, and so I go down the, the, the gravel driveway, turn off the gravel driveway onto the mud driveway, which is his driveway, and you pretty much need four-wheel drive to, to get to his house. And I pull in, and there's my Uncle Jimmy sitting on the porch. And um, he, he was, at that point, uh, pretty sick, and it was you know, changing his physical appearance and everything. And, but I got to go up, and I got to sit on the porch with him, and, and here we are in Georgia on this country road. There's... Um, dead raccoons in the yard that he shot out of the tree the day before or something like that. There's a, there's a yellow lab, you know, sniffing my legs, and, and we're just sitting on the porch, and the subject of his faith came up. And I got to share with him how God put this on my heart. And then we got to go, I th- if I remember correctly, we went to 2 Corinthians 4 and 5 where, where Paul talks about, you know, this body's just a tent. And one day we're going to shed this tent and we're going we're gonna to come into an eternal dwelling as Jesus transitions us from this life into eternity. And I got to hear about his own personal response to the gospel. And then we prayed together and I was, as I was walking back to my car, he stood up on the porch and I'll never forget. He, he, he shouted out to me, he said, the Lord's got me, Freddie. The Lord's got me. And I just remember that was the last words I ever heard him speak this side of heaven and I think all because of what Paul wrote here in in Romans chapter one that same thing happened in my heart that was happening in Paul's that I desired 
to have that relationship where we could mutually encourage one another. And I think of that's how Paul, to some degree, that's how Paul's feeling. He's, he's in Corinth writing this letter. He's going to take this offering to Jerusalem to help um, those living in poverty there. And then he's hoping to get some things together and head towards Rome. And he wants to go and he wants to share this just bit of encouragement that, that, that ultimately comes in the form of the 16 chapters of the book of Romans. And he wants to go and he wants to impart to them this spiritual gift, which is nothing more than the sharing together of the goodness of the gospel. Here are these Roman believers, loved by God, on the heart of the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul, it actually makes it into scripture, his desire to go and be with them. What is so unique and so special about these people? Then we find number three. Not only are they loved by God, not only are they admired by God, but they are part of God's plan. You could say a crucial part of God's plan. Then again, every part of God's plan is pretty crucial. (laughs) Paul was delayed in coming to them, but they remained on his mind, not because of human emotion, although that was in play. We saw that in the last passage. But they remained on his mind because God had ordained for them to be part of his plan. Paul says in verse 13, now I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I often plan to come to you. No doubt people in Rome were like, why hasn't Paul written to us? Why hasn't Paul come and visited us? He's all over the place. What, what does he have against us here in Rome? He says, that's not the case at all. I often plan to come to you, but was prevented until now. In order that I might have a fruitful ministry among you, just as I have had among the rest of the Gentiles. Again, remember, the Gentiles are just those who are not Jews. I'm obligated both to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. God has his sights set on the church in Rome to be part of his plan to take the gospel, not only throughout the rest of the city of Rome, though much of that will take place because Paul will eventually make it there, but also the gospel to the ends of the earth. You remember what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1-8 before he ascended into heaven. He told the disciples, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, the city where you're at, Judea and Samaria, the surrounding region, and ultimately to the ends of the earth. And in this way, the Roman believers fit into God's plan in that they will be a part of the gospel going to the ends of the earth. Now, the New Testament doesn't tell us how all of this plays out. The historical records of what happened in the first century end with uh, Acts chapter 28. This is a book written by Luke. And the, the, the understanding is that Luke only wrote about those events that he personally witnessed. And in Acts 28, he and Paul had split ways because Paul was arrested and he was taken to Rome to be put on trial. But we know that he spends, according to Acts, uh, the end of the book of Acts, he spends at least two years on house arrest in Rome. 
And Paul says in his letter to the Philippians, one of the last letters that he writes, he says there that because of his imprisonment in Rome, that many people, important people throughout Rome are hearing the gospel. And so Paul's, although it doesn't happen the way he wants it to happen, I'm sure he would have rather sailed to Rome as a free person. Instead, he sails to Rome as a prisoner, and he goes and he finally gets to declare the gospel. And God uses even his chains to carry out his plan to get the Apostle Paul to Rome so that the Roman believers can be encouraged by this gospel message and so that they can play a part in his plan of the gospel going to the ends of the earth. Church history does suggest that Paul would be freed from that imprisonment that the book of Acts ends with and that he did indeed go to Spain um, but there's debate about that. It's not, it's, we don't have the same level of evidence of that that we do uh, in the rest of the New Testament. So we have to stop short and say, we don't know for sure that Paul made it to Spain, but somebody did. Somehow the gospel got not only to Spain, but to Western Pennsylvania. And that's the incredible thing about being a part of God's plan is that the Roman believers got to play some part in the gospel going forth so that those who were apart from Jesus Christ and without salvation would hear the gospel and become a part of his eternal kingdom. How lucky these Roman believers are for they are loved by God. They are admired by Paul and they are a part of God's plan to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And all of this begs that we ask the question that's great that they're so blessed that they are in such a fortunate position, but what about us? What about you and I? How do these words of the book of Romans inform our understanding of our own place in God's plan? How do Paul's words to the Christians in Rome apply to modern Christians today, specifically you and I? After all, God doesn't write letters like this to his church anymore. However, can we not conclude from everything we know in scripture, that everything I just said about the church in Rome equally applies to you and I. Can we, can we not conclude that we too are saints in the, in the sense that we are set apart by God, we are called by him, we are chosen by him, we are loved by him? How much more evidence do we need that God loves us than the gospel? If God, if God was willing to sacrifice his son so that your sins could be forgiven and so that you could be a part of his eternal kingdom, is it not safe to say that he loves you? Isn't it safe to conclude that just as Paul admired these believers at Rome that we too are admired for our faith and for our commitment to the gospel? I know that one, that one probably is a little harder to accept, isn't it? 
But can I tell you that there are people, there are people in various parts of this world who are specifically aware of Redemption Church and who celebrate your faith. How so? Well, in Malawi, there are, there are hundreds, actually thousands of families who drink clean water from a well that has inscribed on it, donated by Redemption Church. And they know what that means. They know that that means there is a group of Christian believers somewhere out in the world named Redemption Church who had enough faith and enough love in their hearts to part with hard-earned money so that they could be the recipients of clean water. They understand full well what that means. There are missionaries who are taking the gospel to places where the word of God is not in their language, where the word of God has not, the gospel of God has not been proclaimed, and they know full well that they are going because of the faith and the support of people at Redemption Church. There are other ministers and pastors here in our town that have heard of what God is doing at Redemption Church. I know from the outside, from the inside looking out, you're like, there's nothing, there's nothing to be impressed of here. That is certainly true. There's nothing impressive about us. But what is impressive is that the same God who called and, and, and brought to faith Jews in Rome has called and brought to faith you and I. And our obedience, as, as much as we would like to improve on it, our obedience is an encouragement to others outside of these four walls. And God is using our faith. He is using this body of believers to do his work around the world. These Roman Jews who had believed in Christ, many of them would go on to be martyred for the faith. Just a few years after this letter was written, there was a fire, a massive fire that destroyed much of Rome and the emperor Nero blamed it on the Christians and used it as a reason to persecute both Jew and Christian and many of these same believers who heard these words of the Apostle Paul would ultimately go on to give their lives for the gospel. How much more should you and I be willing to give what little God has asked of us for the sake of his kingdom? And can we not conclude with equal conviction that just as those early believers were part of God's plan to take the gospel to the world, that we too are part of God's plan to build his kingdom. We have a role to play in what God is doing that has absolute eternal significance. That's why we must take seriously this call to grow as disciples. That's why we must take seriously God's command to build his church. That's why we must be his witnesses here in our Jerusalem, but also to the ends of the earth because God's plan has always been to work through people just like you and I. Those Roman believers were the most ordinary people on the earth. 
and yet God loved them. They were admired for their commitment to the gospel, and they were a significant and crucial part of God's plan. I contend that is all true of you and I. We are loved by God. Our faith means something to other people. And God has called us to be part of his plan to reach this world with the gospel. Would you pray with me?